Lord, we continue now to pray for your spirit to come, to show us from your law, your word, your story, wonderful things that will inform us, inspire us, and change us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to see you on this summer morning. And uh, we have been looking this summer at how God rescues his people. If you have been with us, you know that we're looking at the story of the Jewish people, the people of Israel revealed in scripture. And yesterday I was at a uh, birthday party for my grandchildren and got to see some friends I already knew and we got caught up on things. You know how that works? Like, hey, we just got back from vacation and where'd you go and what'd you do? And have you been? Yeah, we were away a few weeks ago with a family and so forth. And then I met somebody else that I'd heard of before but never met. And uh, this brother is from India and a professional medical uh, person over in India. Uh, wanted to get trained to better counsel his patients. So he's coming to the States. He's in the States now. He's halfway through a seminary program where he can get Bible knowledge and theological knowledge to really wed those two disciplines together. And I said, wow, and I'm peppering him with questions, you know, and he's asking me questions. We find out that there's people we know, mutual friends, and that's his story, his life. And each one of us lives our own story. We have it, and we write it every day that we live. But as Christians... It's not just your story, Mike, or my story, but it's also the family of God. In other words, when we become Christians, believers in Jesus, we tap into a new genealogy. The story of the people of God written in Scripture is also your family heritage as well. So that's why we've been looking for the last ooh, several months at the story of the people of Israel. If you go way back to the book of Genesis, that's where God picks one man, Abraham, and says, you will have a family, a nation someday, and that nation will live in a land, and you all will channel my blessing to every nation in the earth. And what we've looked at, beginning in the book of Exodus, is the way this family grew into an entire nation, except they weren't in the promised land yet. So God will redeem them from Egypt and set them on the way to the promised land. Now, that's just not ancient history. That's also, the Bible tells us, your story, my story as well. So do you remember in the past months we've looked at the way Pharaoh and the Egyptians represent Satan and sin and our slavery to them. And how the Exodus is that beautiful picture of God's redeeming us, all him as we follow him, and God's power through Moses. Moses, just like Jesus, the one who God uses to deliver his people through Jesus' cross and resurrection. And even the Red Sea. You know, the H2O, the water, represents the waters of baptism that every Christian goes through that says, 
My old life is gone, I'm dead, buried, and I'm on my way to the promised land. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at that journey after the Red Sea to the promised land. You could say that's our Christian life. In fact, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Bill Smith talk about one example of what happened there. Um, But before I get there, maybe I should show you uh, where this happened, because it really did happen in time and space. You see the bigger picture of the Middle East there with Egypt on the left, Saudi Arabia modern day on the right, the promised land kind of up in the middle there. And this is where the story takes place. We're looking at it, the exodus, the movement in the wilderness toward Mount Sinai in the coming weeks. Here's another way to look at it. This is a recent photo from space, from NASA. You can see the triangular Sinai Peninsula. And uh, the exodus took place crossing the Red Sea somewhere to the north up there. By the way, the Red Sea is a huge body of water. And in the north, it splits into, looks like the letter Y. And we're talking about the left wing of that Red Sea. And then we will see that the people journey down south toward the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where they get the law. One more, if you like maps with labels, uh, I'll keep this up for a little bit here. You can see the same thing. Now, last week, as the people journeyed in that wilderness, and by the way, it is really raw territory. Today, that's where ISIS thrives in the Sinai Peninsula. Um, In Bible times, there were people like ISIS, so to speak. Last week, we looked at the Amalekites. As the Israelites were traveling through, they were, could we say, invaded by these desert pirates called the Amalekites. They wanted to destroy these people, you know, rob them and destroy them. And they cried out, God, help us, and God did. And he did it in two ways. Moses, if you remember with uplifted hands on a mountaintop nearby, prayed for them as they fought the battle in the valley. Remember the story? If you were here, if you didn't, you can catch it on our website, download it, listen to it, and uh, so much truth there. What is the truth? The truth is that as we journey toward heaven in this life, we will be attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we must resist only because Jesus himself, our great priest, is praying for us and empowering us. That was last week. Now today, we're going to see another person come and meet the Israelites on the journey. This time, it's not a group of people. It's an individual. But like the Amalekites, he is also an ite. He's a Midianite. In fact, I remember hearing one time, you know, you're reading through the Old Testament, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the termites, and the, (laughs) you know, it all kind of runs together. Well, that's because in the ancient world, uh, these people were tribal groups that were nomadic. In other words, they had sheep and goats, and wherever the grass was green, that was home. Once the animals ate all this down to stubble, then they would move on. So it's not like you have Midianite capital cities and Amalekite fortresses and so forth. 
they're nomads wandering all over all the time. We're going to meet a man in Exodus now named Jethro. And we will read the scriptures in a moment. I just want to set it up for a minute uh, so you get some appreciation as we read it. It says in the first verse that Jethro is a priest of Midian, and he's also the father-in-law of Moses. So a little background here. Priest of Midian? Uh, Yeah, in the ancient world, uh, religion was part and parcel of everyday life. It helped to explain the natural phenomena, and hopefully you could manipulate it and get the gods on your side. So in the ancient world, the priest was the guy who had enough know-how and skill to do it, and to do it enough well so that they kept him in office. Um, It doesn't say in the passage here what god he worshipped. If we put two and two together from archaeology and ancient sources, it was probably one of the nature gods, one of the Canaanite gods, where they worshipped the sun or the moon or the rain, the lightning, the thunder, anything in nature that you wanted to manipulate for your good, there was a god connected with it. So that's probably uh, Jethro's religion, so to speak, nature worship. Uh, The other thing is, he's Moses' father-in-law. And you say, huh? Where did this come from? Well, if you go back to the story in the beginning of Exodus, remember Moses is born from a Jewish family, but because they're trying to liquidate all the boys, he's floated down a river and adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter and raised as a royal son. He thinks he's Egyptian. Everybody else does, too until one day he finds out he's not. And when he finds out, everything starts to flip-flop in his brain, right? He said, this is, I'm not, I am, and he starts to kill an Egyptian, and he does, and he gets found out, and he gets in trouble, so he runs away from Egypt to Midian, the land of Midian. And he goes and he finds some water around a well, and there's some beautiful girls there. You can all, you know, you can soup it up a little bit here. (laughs) Eyes catch with one of them, but he doesn't let on right away. And they go back and say, hey, this guy, he saved us from, uh, you know, the people that were trying to gang up on us, Dad. Dad, this is, what's your name? Moses. And pretty soon, Moses says, yeah, I'm a fugitive. Uh, Can I stay with you? And your name is Jethro. Oh, nice daughters. Eventually, he marries one. What was her name? Zipporah. Moses works for father-in-law Jethro as a shepherd for 40 years. Then, in Exodus chapter 3, God shows up in a burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and lead my people to the promised land. He goes with his family. By this time, he's got two little boys. And they're in Egypt getting ready for all of the plagues and so forth. And the Bible doesn't say this, but somewhere along the line, he sent back his wife and his two boys to his father-in-law's family. 
So he alone is the one who leads his people out of, the, out of Egypt into the promised land. Now what we're going to see in a minute is the reunion of father-in-law, wife, and sons. All right? So I think that's enough background. Uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter today, Exodus chapter 18. I hope you have your Bible. And uh, we're going to read, I'm going to read the first 12 verses to start with. And we'll look at Jethro's conversion to the true God of Israel. All right, Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper, and he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other, and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. What a story. What you see in this first paragraph is, could I call it, his conversion. He comes to faith, a new faith. And the steps toward that faith go like this. He heard from Moses the good news of the rescue of the people of Israel. You see that particularly in verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything that the Lord had done. At the end, how the Lord had saved them, had rescued them. Now, what would that have been like in that tent? I don't know. But you go into a tent. Uh, this is not the kind of tent that you guys were at in creation, believe me. Uh, it was probably more luxurious than your living room. Uh, we're talking about 
pillows and probably carpets and uh, air conditioning, you know, each side of the tent open. It's a dry heat. And uh, no doubt food and conversation. Well, it's been how many years? Wow, what? Pharaoh said that to you? And you said what? No, frogs? How many frogs? You know, all this back and forth and the details of what you have in scripture about the 10 plagues, the death of the firstborn. Oh, that must have been terrible. And the Passover meal. And No, don't tell me. The Red Sea doesn't open up. What are you, crazy? Moses says, look, you see all those people outside this tent? We used to be in Egypt, right? Wow, I guess what I heard is true. I can't deny it. And back and forth and back and forth. And verse 10, it says that Jethro said, or verse 9 rather, Jethro was delighted to hear this. And then in verse 10, he says, praise be to the Lord, to Yahweh. He's not praising one of his gods. He's praising Moses' God. And he's turning in his heart so that not only does he respond in what we would call faith, but in verse 11, he makes a confession. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the other gods, for he did this. You know, if you stop here and think ahead to the history of Israel, those words also come out of the lips of Rahab. Remember her? The non-Israelite Canaanite Jericho harlot? Because once the spies came to her in chapter 2, She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And you know the rest of the story, right? She says, I want to be saved by your God who is now my God, Rahab. And even hundreds of years later, a man named Naaman the Syrian, remember the guy who had leprosy all over his skin and he couldn't get healed? He comes to the land of Israel, he dips in the Jordan River, and he says this in 2 Kings 5, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So this confession was clear as day. And then, verse 12 says, he sacrificed. He brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices. Now, what's this all about? We could say, you know, it's not like he's saying, uh, what's for dinner, Moses? We need some food here, so, you know, some fresh lamb or whatever it might be. No, a special sacrifice meant, God, I recognize that I have to die in the presence of you, a holy God. But you have also said that if we take an animal, another life, it can count for me. And so Jethro, the priest, joins Moses and Aaron, the Jewish high priest, and they have this big uh, communal meal. 
It would be like a big baptism service with the Lord's Supper. You see that? They're sealing the deal. It's not just that uh, Jethro says, well, that's interesting, Moses. Yeah, I guess there's something to this, but eh, I'm going to go back to worshiping Baal. Um, See you in a few years. Miss the grandkids. No, his whole life does a 180. He repents. He rejoices in the Lord, and he says, I am part of this covenant community. That's amazing. Jethro. And then the rest of the chapter describes something else he does. So if you follow me now to the last part, I will read it, and uh, I will try to read it quickly because it's a pretty simple passage, doesn't take a lot of explanation. Here's what it says, verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. And when his father-in-law saw that Moses was what he was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them serve as judges for the people at all times, but let them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. They served as judges for all the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Do you see what is happening here? You say, well, isn't this just common sense? Well, yeah, in a sense it is, but... Why did Moses not think of this sooner? Or why didn't maybe Aaron, his brother, say, hey, you're wearing out. Here's a better plan. Why did it take a converted, could we say, Canaanite priest, his father-in-law, to tell him this? 
And I don't know the answer to those questions. But I can learn something from this, for sure. Delegation, distributing the load, is the better way to live life. I don't, I don't care whether it's for you, your family, your job, your school, your church. There is wisdom here. But if you look at it the other way, Moses has to swallow his pride, right? I mean, there is something to say, yeah, nobody can make a decision here except me. Oh, okay, I guess I'm indispensable. Yes, uh, Dr. Moses, uh, can I help you? <laughs> no, he's got to say, hmm, I'm not indispensable. I can't do it alone. I shouldn't do it alone. Let's spread the wealth down. That makes good common sense. It makes good spiritual sense as well. But what I wonder is, as I'm reading this, and hopefully as we're all thinking about this, like why is this here when we just talked about Jethro's conversion from paganism to Yahwehism, to the true faith? Why, why, why this dose of common sense here? Could there be more? Well, let me suggest that maybe there is. What is the function of Moses if you would say in the Old Testament there were different offices that men and women held, what was his main job? Begins with a P. Prophet. Right, Moses the prophet. Uh, Jethro, we just met, is described as a, also begins with a P. Priest. Right, not trick questions here. Prophet, priest. What does Moses do? What hat does he put on in the second part of the story we just looked at? Judge. You say, hold it. Well, what's the difference here? Well, prophet means that the person is a mouthpiece for God. God speaks to the prophet. The prophet communicates the word of God to the people. A priest is just the opposite. A priest takes the prayers of the people, the sacrifices of the people, and offers them up to God. So you have like a down arrow and an up arrow. And a judge is somebody who um, carries out the will of God, makes decisions that work, that reflect God's will. And you know, there's another word for judge that comes in this triad later in Israel's history. David was one. The word is king. A king rules people for the heavenly king. Prophet, priest, king. In this story, you see all three working separately, right? Moses is both prophet and judge, but Jethro is the priest. Moses is not a priest. So in the grand scheme of God's progressive teaching in the Bible, what he's doing is saying, wow, these are three great functions. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have them melded into one person? And God even predicted that it would happen because 
When a prophet became a prophet, he was anointed with oil on his head. When a priest was installed, oil was poured on his head and dripped down over his face into his beard. Same thing with a king. It was a way to recognize that God, the spirit, oil, is coming on this person in a separate way. All three were, in Hebrew, Mashiach, Messiah, in Hebrew. In Greek, they were christened, Christ. Same word, two different languages. And if you were here in the service when we recited the question from the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Jesus is our great, Jesus is our great prophet. He's the one that tells us the truth about life, who we are, who God is. Jesus is our great priest. He's the one who can sacrifice for us, but who became a sacrifice for us and prays for us. And Jesus is our great king who gives us his law, the law of liberty, the law of love, the law of Christ by which we live and obey. Yes, even a story like this that sounds like, well, that's just common sense, isn't it? Whispers the three offices that become that of Jesus, the Messiah. And I forgot to click through all that. But you got it anyway, I hope, okay? So what do we learn from the bigger story of Jethro? I, I, I think it's just one thing, that God loves and loved all people, not just the Israelites, but all people in Old Testament times. And, you know, I talked about Rahab, the Canaanite. I talked about uh, Naaman. What about Ruth? She's one who comes into the people of God. She was a Moabite woman to be apart from the people of God. What about Jonah, the prophet who goes to the Assyrian people up in Nineveh and tells them something from God and they repent? Now, that's, those are the ones recorded in Scripture. What's not written there? Where God went out in Old Testament times and said, I want to know you and forgive you and love you. And then Jesus comes. And he comes not just for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. And everything gets flipped from Old Testament where people were to come and see in the land, the Holy Land. Now Jesus says, go and tell. And the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, and it ends up in Rome, the rest of the world, Acts 28. And then there's Acts 29, and Acts 30, and Acts 52, and Acts 612. What are you talking about? I'm talking about for the 2,000 years that the church has existed. It has gone out all over the world with the message of God can rescue you. So that in Revelation, it describes the people of God this way. They are purchased by God 
from every tribe and language and people and nation. And most of us sitting here today are not Israelite people. We have been put into the people of God. Because why? Because someone told us about God's power to rescue. Now I'd like to just wrap it up here and say, how did Jethro come to faith? He wasn't back in his pagan temple and the angel Gabriel came to him and said, Jethro, no. He went to meet his son-in-law and Moses says, hey, Jethro, let me tell you what God did for us. Really? And the scales came off. Now I want to ask, how many of you here today came to faith in Jesus because someone told you something about God's work in their life and it brought some attraction, some awakening to you in some way? You just put your hand up and then down again? So we're talking eh, maybe 25% of you. That is what I would like to challenge you with today. I would like you to think about the sequence of what God is doing in your life. You say, hold on, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary. No, but if God has touched you, you have a story to tell to somebody else. Have you ever thought about it? And it's unique. Have you ever uh, told somebody or written it out? Like your little spiritual biography in two volumes. Here I was without God, something happened, and now God is in my life. Jesus forgave me. That's your story. That's how God rescued you. Look, some of you did this on that poster out there in the lobby. Did you see it coming in? Right, It's been up there for like a month or so. How has God rescued you? And you might not have a great testimony of like, yeah, when I was 33, I finally saw the light because of this. Maybe God's rescue of you was so powerful that you can't forget it because it happened last month. You read what people have written out there. God has delivered me, rescued me from my fear. Well, that's just not once. That has ripples. I'm challenging all of us today to be like that man in John chapter 9 who was born blind. And the story says that Jesus came along. He was begging. And he got some mud or got some dirt and spit in it, made some mud, sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? And applied it to his eyes. And he said to him, now you go wash in a pool that's just down the road here, and you'll be able to see. And the guy says, what have I got to lose? So he goes, washes it off. I can see, and he goes back to his, his parents, a young guy. And the people say, what? That's Ralph whatever his name was. No, it isn't. It looks like Ralph, because Ralph is blind. No, that's Ralph, and Ralph says, it's me. And pretty soon the Jewish authorities get word of this, because they hate Jesus. 
Who did this? Jesus did this. And in John chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, they say, give glory to God, tell us the truth. Not that sinful Jesus, right? And he says, whether or not it's Jesus, he says, one thing I know. Once I was blind, now I can see. I'll let you theological people argue about all the intricacies of this. I know what happened in my life. My challenge to you is, who will you tell this week about God's work in your life? You ask God, give me an opportunity to say something. And if God has to push it in front of you, he just might do that. And all you have to do is say, this is what really happened. Or this is the struggle I'm going through. This is what Moses told uh, his father-in-law. Yeah, these people complained. They were thirsty. And all it was was bitter water. But God provided water for us. Just talk to people about God. Can you do that? Yes, you can do that. And you will see God work not just in you, but through you to his glory. May it be so. Lord, thank you for Jethro. Look forward to meeting him someday. Thank you for the example that Jethro is to us all. Thank you for the example of Moses in simply telling Jethro how you rescued the Israelites. Lord, may that be our theme of our lives. May it be on our lips as we stumble, but as we point people to you, may people find rescue and salvation in the Lord Jesus. And thank you for letting us be a part of that too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.